I'm Rob Poynton from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. It's me, D.B. Spitzer, and to my virtual right, uh, Farmer Dave, David Heath. How the heck are you doing this week? I am well slash tired. Yeah. Yeah, from what I understand, you have 14 baby goats in your living room? And counting. And counting. That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, we'll just stop stop the show if you need to deliver any baby goats or anything like that. <laughs> we say that, but uh, about 10 days ago, we did have to stop one of the cyberpunk games because one of the, the mamas was in and about ready to deliver. Oh, that's crazy. So. That's crazy, but understandable. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, uh, life, life animal birth uh, trumps uh, RPGs. <laughs> in, in necessity if, if you uh, live on a dairy farm <laughs> although although one of them I swear I got all the chores done I went uh-huh. out I went out and you know checked the waters came back in and someone else went in to check something else on the barn uh-huh. and within 10 minutes right next to one of the mamas was this little baby goat just ah, I'm here <laughs> crazy stuff crazy stuff uh, yeah, in town, things are pretty normal. 
Uh, just, just everyone's just kind of getting ready for. I don't know. April first happened. Nothing crazy. Uh, yeah, no, it's just springtime, and uh, it's people are planting gardens. Uh, people are ordering plants. People are putting up all their uh, scarecrows and not not quite scarecrows, but getting ready to put up their scarecrows so that we can have that big, huge scarecrow thing that we have every year. It, it slowly builds. It slowly builds. First, it's just a little bit here, and then by September... In Oleander, we got to make our scarecrows a little bit bigger because we have so many ravens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> everyone else is having problems with COVID. We were having... With COVID, we are having problems with... Uh, 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 anyway, never mind. I was trying to remember what the Latin name for uh, crows and ravens is. Corvus family? I can't remember. I think you are correct. Uh, yeah, I was going to make that joke, but then I stumbled across it and then fell flat you know on my face. how often we should tell that joke? How often? Nevermore. <laughs> I hear it murders, though, at live shows. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about Gugs and Golgoroth. Um, not the not the band, not the uh, fictional grocery store and Metalocalypse, but the Lovecraftian Marvel deity Golgoroth. And, and not not all the. Did you know that there are seven different Gugs mentioned in Wikipedia? Whoa, that's crazy. Including like you know, it's uh, in different languages, stuff. Uh-huh. and there are like ten pages of Gug-related things in the Urban Dictionary that have nothing to do with Lovecrafting Gugs. Interesting. Interesting. Any of them that you can mention on air? Um, I have to remember. Like one was like, um, no, no, I can't mention that one. Okay. Um. No, I don't think. Are we are we on are we on the air in Minnesota? Yeah, I we can't mention that. No, Lutherans are uh, free. Not legally. Um, there's um. Mm, oh well, one okay. is, is like, and I guess I'd heard it. You know, Gug is like a slang for you're drinking. You gug something down. Gotcha. Yeah, no, it sounds like cyberpunk slang for like. Drinking something fast. <laughs> yeah, so, so that one. Uh, so it, it's a, also a, apparently the hip kids, which I am not. Uh-huh. Internet slang, Gug is like a greeting. Mm, okay. Uh, and there is an amino acid. G-U-G, spell, uh, with all capitals, it's a type of amino acid. Uh-huh. And... Um, Oh, uh, the Times, uh, good university guide. It's a, a English newspaper, the Times. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, they have the good university guide, Gug, which is you know kind of like our top ten universities list here. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and no, nope, we can't mention that one. Well, I guess we could, but uh, uh, okay, yeah. So, um, so uh, unless you're in Minnesota, do not. Uh, you can go ahead and. Just go Gug and the 
Urban Dictionary, but if you are in the state of Minnesota, you may violate laws reading the Urban Dictionary. Correct. So, I, I think we're going to be talking about Golgoroth in this section, then. Yes, we are. So, one thing I have to say. One of the first things I ever saw of Golgoroth that made me go, I need to look more into this frog being is the illustration in the, I think it's the uh, Monstrous Malastrum, like from 6th edition, 5th edition? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, it's the big monster book that has all the photoshopped folk, folk art pictures and, you know. Yeah, I think that's 6th or... Okay. Um, yes, and, and it is by one of my favorite writers of all time, mm-hmm. Robert E. Howard. Yeah. So, so Howard, Howard was a little bit different than Lovecraft. Yeah. And the fact that he could read economic t- trends. Mm-hmm. And so, and part of the fact is, I, I really think that he was probably a you know ADH you know they they recognized that in the 20s and the 30s mm-hmm. but he was all over so he's going to write like Conan which is known he's going to write historical fantasy yeah uh, Solomon Kane mm-hmm. he's going to write boxing stories. He's going to write comic cowboy stories. Yeah. So he really only writes Lovecraftian circles for a couple of years, you know, mm-hmm. around 1931, 1932. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of his more influence is really, I think, on the writers. Um, and it's, you know, around is that he kept even though he was no longer actively writing cosmic core he was still corresponding with um lovecraft and clark ashton smith yeah and encouraging him and spitballing ideas but his lovecraft or cosmic horror fiction that's only a small percentage of what he wrote yeah yeah that's 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 very true but that doesn't necessarily prevent later generations try to shoehorn some of this stuff in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. There's there's definitely things that other people have tried to shoehorn in with his stuff and then make it more mythosy. Uh, there's, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely uh, not, I, I feel like there's some stories that Howard wrote that were Mythosy and other ones that were just supposed to feel like spooky mystery, you know, or like like some Conan stories that have like, you know, it's a mystery bigger than what you're thinking it is. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a Lovecraftian being. Yeah, um, and, and and definitely, uh, I mean, the thing on the roof mm-hmm. is Lovecraftian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the um, Black Stone is Lovecraftian. Oh yeah. Definitely, and those were the turning the times where he was correspond corresponding mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. with love. But you know, I've even seen people shoehorning in things uh, like pigeons from hell, which is yeah. much a folk story. Sure, yeah. Um, but you know, in a ways, uh, I kind of head it into to a, to a, 
a Lovecraft story. Okay. All right. Or a, a Cosmic Horror story, sure. not Lovecraft. Okay. So do you know what the name of the first story that Golgoth uh, appeared in? No. No, I don't. The Gods of Baal Sagoth. Oh. Which is... Um, it, 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 so this guy gets... Sh- this guy fights with Vikings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he gets shipwrecked because... And then he meets this, this Saxon who becomes like his enemy, mm-hmm. but it then becomes kind of his friend that they're shipwrecked. Yeah. Kind of like... Uh, did you see... Um, Enemy Mine? Uh, Congo Skull Island. Oh. <laughs> no. Well, well, there's a slight part of it where there's a, a World War II fighter pilot uh-huh. and a Japanese fighter pilot okay. that are both shot down. And they end up having to be friends together and, 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 and you know work together uh, as a subplot to, to fight all these giant monsters there. Gotcha. So, um... So, and then, of course, they meet a girl... Who is, of course, blonde and hot because Robert E. Howard. Yeah. Uh, and then um, she dies. Okay. Because um, Robert E. Howard. Yeah. Uh, and so that leaves basically uh, the two heroes have to escape uh, the island on a boat after, you know, fighting uh, monsters. Okay. Uh, but the story that the girl. Uh, uh, Brunheil kind of becomes their queen, and it kind of, uh, uh, kind of reminds me a little bit, maybe it was a little bit of magic, uh-huh. and people say that of uh, Kipling's, uh, the man who would be king. Yeah. Okay. Where they sort of take control because they, you know, they're claiming supernatural powers. Yeah. Yeah. And in this particular story, it's a statue of Golgoth. Uh-huh. So there's not really... It's kind of implied he's fake. Okay. But it doesn't come out and say, hey, yeah, guess what? Um, it's an outer god. It's later people, especially uh, uh, Lynn Carter, that uh-huh. put him in with uh, the actual deities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm, I'm sure it just kind of got swept up in uh, Sandy Peterson's need for deities in a role-playing game. Peterson uses, I think, without the gall, but I think Goroth uh-huh. is in Doom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and we know, you know, obviously... I'm, I mean, anyone else could come up with that randomly, but not Sandy Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other um, thing that I really loved Golgoth uh, was um, the Marvel writers in the 70s. Oh, cool. So they put him a lot in, in Conan. Okay. So here, here's sort of the, this thing and this sort of connection. You know that Marvel owns Conan again. Oh, cool. Well, it should be better. But yeah, so the last two or three years, Marvel have been reprinting Conan. Okay. Not re- well, yeah, some of them were reprinted. They did, they did a reprint of the original um, uh, Tower of the Elephant, which is one of my favorite Conan stories. Yeah. But, so, Conan has part of the, the, the current 616. 
okay. universe. So yeah. that's that's for those of you who don't know, that's the primary universe in Marvel. Yeah. So, in fact, enough that he was part of um, the Savage Avengers. Yeah. And to be honest, I'm not the what I've read so far. I've not really been impressed. I'd like some of their Conan and. Hyboria stories, but not yeah. the Conan and the Modern. I, I, I just, you know, might as well just use Thor. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. or Hercules, which is Hercules. a Marvel character. <laughs> but because he's now full fledged current, and again, I think there's still. I know there's been a change recently on the trademark ownership, so I don't know if they're going to keep going after this, but. Because he is now full 616, mm -hmm. all these other Lovecraft-powered creations that appear in his in their stories are also part of the 616. Okay. So, so you know, Galgoth uh, or um, Golgotha, you know, uh, Golgoth yeah. has his <laughs> own little part in the official 616 um, oh, uh, webpage. Interesting. Very interesting. The thing that, I, I mean, I, I think it's sad that, you know, it's like Conan is still not in the public domain, but if Conan's part of Marvel, that might mean that we might get a Conan movie. Even if it's, you know, a Disney Conan movie, it's still something. <laughs> and, 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 well, the, the, the truth is, mm -hmm. Disney wants something they'll buy. It. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so Disney does not own the trademark on Conan. Oh, but does Marvel? No, no. It's a new company. It's a game company, actually. Is it that Swedish company? No, the Swedes sold it to somebody oh, thank about God. three months ago, and uh, I will look up, see who has it now. Okay. But, um, so Marvel leases, or however, the rights to do Conan comics. Now, with this new company taking over, uh -huh. uh, the, and so you're right, Conan stories, most of them, not all, but most of them, are public domain. Yeah. So I can write, you can write, notice I am a goat farmer, I am not a lawyer, this is not to be considered legal advice. <laughs> um, so we, you could sit down and say, we could copy a book, put a cover on it, and sell, you know, the Conan stories. Yeah. Lots of people do. Mm -hmm. What Conan is, is trademarked. Yeah just like Batman and Superman. So what we cannot do is write new stuff without permission. Gotcha. So even though the stories are public domain, mm -hmm. the character is trademarked, mm -hmm. and trademarks never run out. Yeah, yeah. They can be given up, which nobody's going to give up a, a property, though. No. <laughs> So that was a tangent for the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, how's how's uh, Golgoroth used in Conan? What 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 is Golgoroth's description in Conan? So so and again, um, in the comic books, 
we get him sort of, and I'm not sure he actually appears in the actual stories, but he comes up pretty much, um, I think he's actually more mentioned in passing than actually seen. The, the same sort of thing that you expect with Robert E. Howard. Uh-huh. It's froggy tentacle-like. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, just just as, as long as he's staying consistent. But one sort of slight difference... Sure. Um, ...is that um, in one of the Marvels... Uh, sorry, he brings forth zombies... Whoa. In one of the Conan stories. Uh, and I think it was the episode uh, Curse of the Undead Man. Wow. So he's sort of seen as the, the deity over, uh, at least in this one, back in the 70s, where he's seen as sort of the, the deity that brings forth zombies. Wow, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> yeah, no, there could be something about the big white disc eyes that he has, or it has, that... uh you know, makes makes the undead rise. Yeah, so I think, I don't think he's actually drawn in those comics. Okay, that's I, I could be wrong, and I'm yeah. I'm I'm sure that Ken Hyde is writing a letter to me right now, <laughs> uh, explaining how I was wrong. But I, I don't think he actually appears. He's just mentioned. Okay. Golgoroth or Ken Hyde. I believe that Ken Hyde does appear in a Conan comic. Okay. Uh, Conan goes to Chicago. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I I think Golgoroth's pretty neat. Uh, just just I I like the frog, uh, the frog bat type. Even though I I don't think uh, Golgoroth is quite like. Sounds like Golgoroth's kind of like slimy and tentacly and you know not not quite the uh furry bat sleepy toad that uh Sathagwa is yes but but they um um the, the, they're definitely in this sort of Clark Ashton Smith-ish, you know, family tree of the gods. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible toads of Clark Clark Ashton Smith. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, no. um, Could definitely be one of Sathagwa's cousins or, or uncles or aunts or whatnot. A family member. A nephew, per se. Yes, and, and Love, Lovecraft or Robert Howard, he really kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuff's I, I, I like that stuff too. I mean, uh, sometimes when I've been working on the show, the genealogy of the monsters of of, of the outer gods or whatever, I've I've like pretended to take it a lot more seriously than it is and be like no no this person's related to that person and this but yeah no it's a lot of fun i do like the family tree stuff uh i like clark ashton smith's family tree i I think i've mentioned this better than i like lovecraft's family tree that he's he he made but or uh, there's like two family trees that have been made 
And I think the one that Clark Ashton Smith made, I, I, I like a little bit more. Yes, and yes, and, and the Lovecraftian one was written more as a joke. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like Clark Ashton Smith is like actually, you know, I think I do it like this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Golgoroth. Whole kinds of uh, black tentacle, squiggly toad goodness. Yes. And, and, and I, it, it, it's Funko, I believe, or Funcom. Yeah. Uh, which I think is actually owned by, who owns the, uh, Funcom has the, uh, uh, the Conan trademark. Okay. And I think they're actually owned by... Tencent. Hmm. Okay. But, cool. Uh, yeah. That's cool. So would that mean that they own the trademark to Golgoroth? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> now I don't know if Golgoroth is. I know Conan. Yeah. Is yeah. trademarked. I don't know if, if all the miners ones were ever trademarked. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well. Uh, if you're out there and you're listening and you know the answer to this, write us. Let us know. Uh, I'm, I, you know, hey, I think it'd be cool to uh, do Golgoroth as uh, something. Okay, cool. Um, hey, so you've got a little thing that you wrote for us this week. Uh, what, what's it about? So speaking of a car, uh, a Marvel slash cosmic horror connection uh-huh it, we're going to be talking i'm going to be talking about elsa bloodstone one of my most favorite sea level marvel heroes okay all right who basically started as this sort of buffy the vampire hunter clone uh, the daughter of well i'll tell more but daughter of a, a 70s uh, you know, black and white comic Marvel hero Ulysses Bloodstone, but then Warren Ellis basically gave her a complete uh, makeover and it changed her memories. Oh, cool. Interesting. All right. We'll be talking about, well, Dave will be talking about that. And then after that, we will be talking about Gugs. And yeah, that's. I don't have a joke. So yeah. <laughs> we'll you have see. a joke? I don't have a joke. Uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, we'll see you in a bit, everyone. Hey, everyone. It's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20-watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a glary.
This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. Hey, everybody, it's me, Farmer Dave. And as most of you know, I really do live on a um, working farm. In addition to that, this is actual kidding time where we do have baby goats and we're about halfway through. Uh, That and my regular job and just everything going on in the universe, it's been really hard to sort of do the interviews. Although... I'm really excited because within a week, we're going to have two major interviews I'm really excited about, but um, and hopefully some more lined up, but unfortunately, they're all going to be done after this particular issue goes out, uh, so what I'm kind of doing is uh, just filling out some of the old st- style I used to do, such as uh, Way Back and Dave's Corner and, you know, Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigan, and just talk about something which may at the best be tangentially uh, related to the the mythos. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we talked about one of my favorite comic book characters, uh, Dr. Afrin, the Star Wars, uh, and then received a recent DM from a friend of mine who had listened to a uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about how I'd use uh, the uh, comic book character from The Authority, uh, Jenny Sparks, in uh, an old World War II role-playing game. And in a lot of ways, my favorite characters, especially in the Marvel Universe, have been the C-listers. And I don't mean... That's not a bad thing. Uh, until, say, four or five years ago, and the movie came out, Guardians of the Galaxy were C-listers. The Internals, you know, are C-listers. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been doing pretty good with some of these C-listers getting them in the stories, uh, such as Jimmy Woo, who is an Ant-Man, as well as WandaVision. You know, he started out in the 50s uh, in Marvel Comics chasing Fu Manchu. We see uh, Monica Rambeau, who at one time in the 616 comic world basically was the leader of the Avengers. We see there as a child, but in um, Captain Marvel, but we see her in WandaVision as an adult, a post-blipped adult. Uh, We see a lot of great, I think, C-listers, Colin Wynn and uh, Misty Steele, uh, Kate Bishop, and, you know, even... My favorite Black Widow has always been Yelena. So I think the C-listers, especially the female C-listers, are really getting their justice in Marvel media. And there's a C-lister who I think has a potential of being a really major character in the future as we get on to, you know, phase five, six, seven, eight, nine, ad nauseum, Elsa Bloodstone. 
Now, if you don't know who she is, that's fine. I, I'm going to explain. But you can't really explain who Elsa Bloodstone is unless you first talk about who her father, Ulysses Bloodstone, was. He was created by uh, John Warner and Marv Wolfman in the 70s uh, in one of the uh, adventure titles that Marvel had so many at the time, uh, which was Strange Tales. And this truly does reflect both Lovecraft and pulp writing that so many of the comic book writers of the 70s just loved. So the man who would become Ulysses Bloodstone is basically a blonde, blue-eyed, hunter-gatherer caveman who sees a meteorite. And you know, his thought balloon looks, oh, look, it's a meteorite. Not a falling star, fire, flame. Oh, it's a meteorite. And what this meteorite was, was created by a group of elder gods, outer gods, before the creation of this formation of the universe of energy and matter. In the last parts of the last iteration of, of the universe of energy and matter. Uh, and it survived the Big Bang of this universe. And it's tied to some sort of blood nexus and basically had the power to bring the elder or outer gods from the old universe which had been destroyed by entropy into the new creation of the universe. Very Lovecraftian and very, um, I said pulp, because we've got this caveman who is running around and the outer gods create this sort of being exo that looks, depending on what version, looks very much like Cthulhu. Uh, to be able basically guide over this gem, and he kind of rebels against them and tries to do some sort of spell for uh, for Ulysses' people, and the gem explodes, and they all die and go crazy, except for Ulysses, who gets this blood gem force, forcefully rammed into his chest, and it gives him super strength and immortality, and of course he immediately kills Exo. And he becomes this periodically appearing uh, hero that lives uh, immortal uh, who uh, fights monsters. He becomes uh, a top monster killer uh, and apparently has a lot of children. And one of these children is going to be Elsa Bloodstone. And she first appears in 2001. In the Bloodstone miniseries by uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lansing and Michael Lopez. And which, well, I mean, let's face it. She was basically a Buffy the Vampire Slayer clone. And it, she was blonde. She wore this half shirt and yoga pants that even she calls pervy. Uh, she's guided by uh, a creature named Adam, which you know we pretty much know any creature in Adam named Adam is going to be Frankenstein's monster. Uh, where also uh, her father died, uh, and she's given the the gem in a, a choker it goes around her neck that gives her the strength and endurance 
um, and immortality. And she fights, she teams up with Dracula and fights Nosferatu and a genie and, you know, pretty much what you would expect. And when it came out, I mean, I was aware of it, but it really didn't catch my eye. Uh, because why have a Buffy the Vampire clone when, you know, there was Buffy the Vampire at the time. You know, you had uh, Dark Horse making comics. So it wasn't bad, but, you know, it wasn't really anything that really caught my attention. Now, uh, like I said, she was she had her own blog. She was very jokey and quirky and snarky and sexy, but downplayed it. She was basically, then other than a, a one shot where uh, she did a blog about the monsters of uh, the Marvel Universe, she sort of disappears for five years. And then she comes back in 2006 in Warren Ellis's brilliant masterpiece, Next Wave. I understand that, you know, that Warren Ellis can be kind of a touchy subject now, but despite what the person may or may not have done, and I really don't know full details on this, his art's amazing. And he really reconstructed superheroes by taking these CD listers, uh, including uh, uh, Pulsar, you know, Rambo, uh, Adam Slack, Robot Man, which first appeared in 2001 comics, which so is basically a comic on the universe of 2001 done by Marvel, and uh, Tabitha Smith, Boom Boom, and basically redid them. And in his reimagining of Elsa, she went from an American who had lived in England to very, very English. She had been given red hair. Instead of her father leaving when she was two years old, she was trained and nearly tortured by her father to fight monsters. And this was originally going to be a separate universe. Uh, in fact, Warren Ellis wanted to basically make Dirk Anger this crazy, psycho, suicidal leader of the hate organization. Um, it wanted originally to be Nick Fury, but couldn't. Which turns out because they can then... People later writers so loved these versions of characters they started sneaking them into Earth 616 uh, re-establishing uh, Monica Rambeau and her version uh, bringing back um, uh, Adam Slack so as other authors sort of kind of snuck Next Wave in it became part of canon. And to sort of explain away the difference, her memory was, and the rest of the team's memory were altered by this evil organization pretending to be, you know, the good guys hate. Um, and so she now becomes 
an unreliable narrator because she doesn't know. She believes her memories, even though she knows that they might have been altered or changed. And, and Warren Ellis is, is doing that. He's poking fun at, at comic book characters, C-listers, comic book teams. But in doing so, he creates a much more interesting character than she was originally. Uh, she gets her, her signature um, shotguns or uh, Remington uh, lever-action rifles or, or the shovel, which she's known for hitting monsters with. And she becomes very English and sort of this dark history. Um, and she becomes that more and more is brought up in writers later on. In fact, uh, she's occasionally reteamed up with uh, Tabitha Smith or Boom Boom. They are on the same team. They don't they don't pal around, but they they catch up. And she's kind kind of Tabitha's kind of Elsa's confidant, person that she can sort of be herself with, even though. Elsa and Tabitha both know themselves that the two that became friends are based on lies uh, and on mind control. And there's this scene, you know, where, uh, you know, Elsa says, yeah, you know, sometimes I just wish I could be evil and, and I'd take the Mona Lisa and I'd make it into a cape and I'd make Johnny Depp my concubine, you know, and, and Tabitha gets that. She gets this person that Elsa has been made into. And writers love this character, and they've snuck her in this form, not the original form, but the red-headed Warren Ellis form uh, in books in the last decade or so. Now, there's one sort of kind of interesting exception, and it's kind of like this own universe in its own, and that is um, John Favreau's Iron Man Viva La Vegas. John Favreau, of course, you know, plays Happy. He, he directed it. So to tie on, or directed the original Iron Man movie. So they did a, a tie-in comic that's kind of in its own universe that, but um, where uh, Iron Man is the worst Kate, the worst personality parts of Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, uh, where he goes into Las Vegas or doesn't isn't calmed down by Pepper Potts, where he meets this blonde or very aristocratic uh, Elsa Bloodstone, and they're kind of responsible for bringing Fin Fan Doom into Las Vegas. And in this version, even though it's supposed to be a different dimension, it's she's kind of take Laura Croft met a Bond girl. You know, Steve Rogers even you know comments about her in uh, Siege, where he says you know she's untrained and undisciplined, but has all this potential, and that how he hopes that she can keep her heart in this very dark, dangerous world that that she lives in. And, you, you know, you can't be a Marvel female hero on the rise if you haven't gotten some sort of mentoring from Wolverine. You know, so uh, whether it be Jubilee 
or Kamala Khan. You know, you just have to. And so they, she does team up a little bit with Wolverine, who had an experience or past runs in with her, with her father. Most recently, or one of the most recent, is that she's teamed up and was romantically paired up with was Deadpool. Uh, when he became the king of the monsters. Uh, she got possessed or something, so it kind of... I haven't, I've ordered that, but I, I haven't read The King of the Monsters yet, but I'm really excited. And what I see, they've kind of refined her more, made her a little bit more dark, more brooding. Uh, she was also in The Fearless Defenders, which was had uh, was led by uh, Misty Knight, but also had Valkyrie. It was basically a female team, and she was the monster hunter, but she was also sort of the detective, kind of if you took Laura Croft and Sherlock Holmes, which was, an, I think, another sort of interesting aspect of her character. When Doctor Strange died, comic book air quotes, you know, um, basically once again back in Las Vegas, uh, she was recruited to fight the demons that rose through, rose through there, uh, and including had to fight a uh, possessed falcon. There's a lot of other stories that she's just working in. They've got her own novel coming out, um, several different versions of her. Uh, in different universes, uh, as well as the video games. Uh, she's a playable character in many of the video games. So I think we're going to see a lot more of Elsa Bloodstone. Especially, like I said, Marvel has been just done this great work with with sea levels, with characters that people may be not as familiar with. It gives them more play. Uh, and if they do, I said, and there was some talk about before, you know, Marvel all rolled up into Disney of making a series for her. I don't know who has the rights or it's been derailed. But as we keep going on, I think she'd be a great character to bring up, especially as we head towards the more supernatural aspects of the Marvel Universe. And as we get Blade and Doctor Strange and more and more magic-based adventures and stories, I think that she'd make a great character because even though she might have super strength and immortality, she's also very relatable. And her style of fighting and getting in there and just bare-knuckle brawling, just very very appropriate for a cinematic series. So um, as we continue, I hope that we can see much more of uh, Elsa Bloodstone. This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay and the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on like Instagram check it out. Uh, they've got some really good summer deals, and check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. 
Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, now to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Doves are a monster that are built around armor class. Oh, yeah. So if you're going to make a Gug, and, and I've seen versions uh, from running uh, AC 15 mm-hmm. to 30. Oh, wow. I don't know who's going to break a th- armor class 30. Yeah. But so, and then the hit points sort of follow. So Okay. So Gugs are... Are they're tanks? Yeah, they're bricks. I mean, yeah. And that's sort of the idea is that you know this is your 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 bruiser. Yeah, yeah. And they can they live in a city, but it's interesting. No, in Cawthon, we don't know if they built the city. Uh-huh. They're obviously intelligent. But we don't know did they build Koth or was it built by their captors? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and definitely, you know, Koth basically, especially if maybe Gugs lived a long, long time ago, uh-huh. Koth makes itself perfect for a dungeon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, a lot of, and I've only played a little bit of Pathfinder, mm-hmm. um, but the, I guess the Pathfinder version of the Underdark yeah. is a Gug, sort of full of Gugs. Gotcha. Okay. And now to make the gugs a little bit more than say bugbears, uh-huh. they're given some um, with you know bugbears with four arms. Yeah, they're given some interesting feats, and I think that's one thing I thought. One feat is on one of the versions is if you bring a gug to half hit points, uh huh, they frenzy. They like all of a sudden it, their muscles, their muscles just start freaking out. Okay, and they've got these big old four giant like. Lobster claws. Sure, yeah. So anyone that's in the combat area has to make a deck save, or they're gonna get pinched. Okay, all right. Uh, another feat that I saw designed for the gugs uh, was the and these there's you know 16 to 20 feet tall, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but because of their alien design, yeah, they can get through small cracks. Oh. So and that form makes them as, as tunnelers. So you've got this. Oh, you know, a halfling can't come through this. You know, a little on that 16-foot gug, and then all of a sudden, this huge creature just sort of squeezes in, and now it's, you thought it couldn't get to you, it can. Yikes. And that, I think, will require some willpower saves. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, I like that idea of gugs. Ooh, baby, that's, 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 uh something I hadn't ever thought about with Gugs. I, I, I believe I've seen that uh, somewhere before, but yeah, yeah, that's... Well, uh, ironically enough, I've seen it in real life. 
Yeah. Is um, I used to, you know, when I lived on a, in a harbor, uh, we would take a um, cola uh, cola cans, uh-huh. tie them to a spring, throw them overboard. Yeah. And octopuses would come and live in them as artificial caves. And this huge octopus, it's way bigger. I mean, that's because they have no bones, cartilage. Yeah. But they would squeeze through this little hole in a soda can. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, I, and I don't know, you know, can can the, the, the Gug sort of make their body like uh, Mr. Fantastic? And just all of a sudden their bones become like really rubbery that they can squeeze through. Yeah. I mean, and especially... That's gonna be that's gonna be the creep scene of the encounter. Oh yeah. So you know, if you're gonna be writing, you're gonna be doing the gug like that. This is you know, this is you gotta work it out so that you. Uh, it's a cut scene. Mm-hmm. People see you explain to it in all this detail. The gug gets into this small place that they, your our party was hiring, a uh, hiding, and then roll willpower. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I like that. I like that. But I also like the idea of having it start out being like this big thing that's like just thrashing, destroying, and throwing things. And then it's like, you know, then then it's like tearing things off of things. And then it, you get to a point where you're like, well, it can't get through here. This is this thick. And unless it can come through a storm drain or, you know, unless it can do this, it's like... Does anyone have anything that they? Does anyone know anything about these things? And then, then that's when someone rolls something high enough and goes, "Oh yeah, no, they can totally come through a storm drain." So, and or 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 they fail and and they don't realize that and they you know have to deal with a gug. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other way around, they at least. You know, if they make some sort of check, they'd at least understand uh, what's going to happen and how, how to how to attack it right when it starts coming out. But yeah, yeah. The, the other thing is because the gug's head is on the top of its head, uh-huh. or mouth is on top of its head. Yeah, they put really good things to put on the bottom of pitfall traps. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, considering the fact that gugs are sentient, that seems kind of <laughs> not great to the gugs but uh... yeah but if, if they're if they're trapped by some outer god or something or yeah. by some wizard or mm-hmm. or you know some maybe not god but uh, warlock patron or yeah 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 that would make sense that would make sense uh, I personally uh, like using gugs like kind of like umber hulks like if gugs okay. gugs are intelligent and have like a city underground or something like that and if you're like mining and they hear it they're like Rah! and freak out and you know mess up the mining camp and everything like that and then go back and then everyone's like oh there's a gug in there but you don't know there's like hundreds of gugs there's like a village of gugs uh, you know, it's 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 like uh, the D and D adventure where you go to a mine and then you find out that down at the bottom is like something really terrible, or you have to make some sort of moral choice. Do you kill the Gug family that lives down there? Or <laughs> that's been, you know, the mine has slowly been creeping into their territory, or do you just tell the mine you can't go any further? There's Gugs. Anyway, 
No, I, th- I think that's good. Yeah. One other thing I was thinking, if you make a, a gag villain, uh-huh. make it a warlock. Ooh. That way, except it's got four hands or four claws. Yeah. It can do Eldritch Blast from four different. So you've got so you're surrounded, and mm-hmm. it can still take out four of your party members. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's something I just. You know, something you need to remember is that they're 16 to 20 feet tall. That's true. <laughs> so anywhere you're going to be dealing with a Gug, uh, I mean, unless they have that ability to, like, crawl around in places and stuff like that, it's like, I guess, like, you you could have a ceiling that's four feet tall and everyone's kind of hunched and you know, the Gug just kind of, like, crawls on its uh, hands and legs. Probably pretty fast. And maybe that's one reason why they have the, uh, the, 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 the mouth on like the top of their face right there. So they can crawl on their hands and legs real fast and still be able to chomp on things. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I always kind of assume it's sort of like the, the trap drawer, mm-hmm. a spider. Yeah. But they could also have a very flexible abdomen. Yeah. So they basically lean down at you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking like you could like uh, drill like uh, big half inch uh, holes into uh, stone and then like have like gugs nesting in there or something like that. If they're able to like squeeze up into things, then have gugs like squeeze out or like, you know, a couple of limbs squeeze out and like take a swipe at you kind of thing. It's like, what kind of monster is that? It's like, at first, you know, like, early on, they only have to deal with, like, maybe, like, some mouths or some arms. And then later, uh, they have to deal with, like, whole gugs and stuff like that. But, you know, just game design level progression kind of stuff. And, yeah, that way you can also, like, kind of design how many gugs there are in an area at a time and whatnot. Uh, how many, uh, what's, what's, what's the difficulty? How many hit dice are, uh, uh, what's the, uh, credit rating that, what's, 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 what's a gug got going on for it? Uh, so again, it's gonna kind of vary, uh-huh. but it, the ones that I've seen run from about 80 to about 200 hit points. Okay. All right. So difficult if you're just your standard person, but if you're some sort of a hero type and you've got access to magic, I don't imagine a Gug being an easy fight, but I don't imagine it being an impossible fight. No, no. And so at least one of the versions, and, and uh, the Pathfinder tends to keep this very sort of that the Gugs are banished mm-hmm. to um, but one of the versions has when they sneak out has it traveling with different monsters and other types that were stuff that I never heard of okay. but that were other homebrews oh so, so they can be almost sort of a maybe the uh oh maybe sort of a uh oh uh the big boss Oh, I like that. I like that the uh, the the head honcho of a monster menagerie. Correct. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, no, I, I, I imagine, though, that like a, a beholder who does all of their business in the underdark. Oh, wait a minute. No, beholders are uh, owned by D&D. So I could imagine some sort of. Uh, oh, no, that's OK. Um, I imagine there's some sort of interesting underground. You know what? Yeah, let's we're playing yeah, D&D on D. Just anything from the underdark. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, the other thing that sort of um, it comes on from the, uh, the Pathfinder of Origins, and, and this kind of comes from I think that Randolph Carter helped the ghouls escape, uh -huh. but there seemed to yeah. be an animosity between the ghouls and with um, uh, with um, uh, all the guts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, but I, uh, something I was thinking is is uh, in the Underdark, and I was like, oh, but that'd be Pathfinder. I'm like, oh, no, let's just do it in D&D. &D. Uh, like uh, uh, a beholder who has, like, Gugs for bodyguards. Okay. Like, I, I figured Gugs would probably make pretty decent bodyguards if you're, like, some sort of, like, Underdark underboss. They're, like, you know, it's like something to guard your temple on the outside. Just it's it's like sixteen feet tall. It's 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 like uh, I don't know, <laughs> pretty imposing. Just just even if you just have two to stand out in front of like your temple or or uh, watch your stuff or anything like that. That's that's it's it's just gonna be something that people are gonna be like, I don't know about that. Those are gugs. Yeah, absolutely, and and enough that your your people know. Your people know from Lovecraft know enough mm -hmm. that that they've read it, but they're not really explained. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, and something that I always like to point out is anytime that something's furry in Lovecraftian stuff, it could be kind of like little fine tendrils, like uh, what is it? Not Gathanathoa. Um, Athogwa? Not Athogwa. Uh, Rantigoth. Rantigoth is who I'm thinking of again. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that it could also be, um, which they could bore, but it could also be like sensory, mm -hmm. kind of like cat whiskers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or some sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, like mold, uh, symbiotic mold. Something, something that's like, you know, this furriness that's on stuff. In, in, in Lovecraft, it could it could be some sort of like uh, sentient uh, yeah, so. parasitic mold. Anyway, yeah, no, I think so. I think, like you said, people and people will recognize the term "gug" maybe if they're gamers, but they won't, and maybe even know what they look like. Yeah, but they won't really know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I like the concept of, like, a Gug, you know, being, like, Beast from X-Men, being, like, you, you're expecting this thing to, like, tear off the doors and, like, eat you, but, you know, it actually can tell you about uh, Hegelian dialectics, so, you know. Or cast healing <laughs> spells. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or at least, you know, be like, no, I'm not going to eat you. Please stop 
throwing stuff at me. It's not going to hurt me. You're just going to run out of ammo and uh, then hit me with swords. So just knock it off. This is my house. Get out. Gugs only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gugs. Uh, Gugs are... I, 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 yeah, no, I feel like Gugs could have their own pretty significant uh, communities in the Underdark, depending on how you're playing. Or you could treat them as, like, wild creatures. It's It's like... One of both. Yeah, yeah, no, no. And I'm thinking, like, oh, man, Gugs would work really good in a Star Wars RPG. They seem like, you know, a space monster already. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I was I was thinking of those. Um, I'm trying to remember. They're, like, tall. They have, like, four eyes and a little proboscis, and they're white. And I'm Talls? Like, yes. And I was thinking, yeah, and I was thinking, you know, you throw a couple extra pair of arms on them and uh, that, 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 that those could be like uh, space gugs. I mean, you don't know if that top of that head's going to open up or not. <laughs> or, yeah, or, you know, if, if you want to maybe take into a galaxy far, far away uh-huh. this sort of thing that they've been banished underground. Oh, yeah. You can find this planet that no one knows very much about, but the Empire just nuked the surface. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's because they're afraid that the Gugs are going to get out. Ooh. And all the Gugs are underground now. Yeah. Heck, you could even make Gugs Force-sensitive or something. Yes, I don't could. know. That that makes sense, actually. Like, uh, I don't know, some planet that you don't think of as having, like, heck. I mean, there could have been a major Gug population on Alderaan <laughs> that no one's talking about. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, or, uh, you know, the capital there, which, you know, has 200 stories before you hit the ground. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I could I, I could see some sort of terrible things living uh, way, way, way underneath the depths of the grounds on Coruscant. Yes. Uh, or even, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, Corvega? No. Uh, Cor- hmm. Corellia, Han Solo's Corellia. planet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could definitely see like if, if 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 you know if you have like kids kid kids running around stealing stuff for some like white worm, gugs. Yeah, not surprising at all. If anyone saw Solo, uh, Solo Star Wars Solo story of Solo, so low. Yeah, gugs. Um, and definitely with like episode, what was it? Episode seven that uh, Han Solo was smuggling those like Lovecraftian horrors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, that could be, you know, a huge abandoned ship or something. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh man, yeah. It was like, hey, there's a huge abandoned uh, ship, and it's it was smuggling something. What was it smuggling? I don't know, but. <laughs> And on a, star, a large starship, you're going to have a lot of spaces that Gugs could squeeze through. Oh, yeah, man. 
That's what we do, like a, a an alien adventure. That's what I was thinking, and I was like, "How do Gugs reproduce?" And I'm like, "Oh, you could come up with probably some awful stuff." Yeah. <laughs> they breathe a well, spore. I think that's about it for Gugs. Unless oh. got any more. I, you know, I, I kind of feel like we scratched the surface, but also at the same time, it's like Gugs. Uh, you could do a lot of stuff with Gugs as long as you stick. It's, it's like you can't do like Gugs of Boot Hill or uh, Gugs in Cyberpunk, unless you do it as a genetically engineered creature. <laughs> well, well, you know, the, the the most recent version of Call of Cthulhu. Uh-huh has dark uh, down darker trails yeah which is a a, a cowboy setting oh okay and, and one of the things that it kind of pushes uh-huh there's a whole chapter on lost uh, society yeah so you could do a very good cowboy setting there yeah where you know Oklahoma where you know uh, I was gonna say mound. like Carlsbad Cavern or something like that being full sure. of gugs or like some sort of like lost cavern system uh, being full of gugs yeah yeah I, I, I can see that but it's not like you're gonna run into gugs in like a cityscapes a, a city system something that takes place in like Chicago 1925 the gugs were thicker than the <laughs> anyway but yeah um, are more gugs than bugs more gugs than bugs uh yeah yeah no um geez and then i'm like oh wait a minute what if like uh some fancy mob boss is like i've been collecting some exotic animals i know a guy who knows a guy in china and he got me this i need to get rid of it what can i do <laughs> yeah, and then any cyberpunk setting, I mean, you can always justify biological experiments. Oh yeah, in cyberpunk yeah, setting. yeah, that was my first thought. But you know, you could maybe maybe the mythos isn't really in this setting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but Lovecraft's books are. Yeah. So some you know expensive corp you know or or golden child wants a gug designed. Or some because... ripper doc who, you know, has like, uh, you know, like what if a ripper doc like got a hold of like animals and started splicing them or some crazy stuff like that or. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or it's like, well, what if we took a gorilla and put two sets of gorilla arms on the gorilla and then, okay, we totally take its head off. We just keep its brain. We re- rebuild a cyber head for it. <laughs> and then just, like, fills the thing up with cyber tech. And then it goes, it, it, it starts having to deal with uh, uh, cyber psychosis. And then you got a bad gorilla with, oh, man, that thing would, ugh. Just, like, I hope I don't have to fight anything like that ever. in cyberpunk stuff. Um, but yeah, 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 no, I mean, Gugs, I, I, you know, I, I take back what I tried to say earlier that, oh, you can't do Gugs here and you can't do Gugs there. Gugs could be everywhere. I mean, as long as you can go underground and as long as people can be like mad scientists, splicers, whatever, uh, chimera projects gone awry. I mean, you could even do Gugs in your superhero campaigns. I mean, just have, like, your uh, Dr. Moreau type, you know, just, like, smash a bunch of... What's that? 
or mole men that come up from Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot underground stuff the, with the like, chuds are gugs. Ooh, or chuds and gugs are working together because, as we all know, gugs, uh, chuds are pretty much ghouls. Everything goes better with chuds. Yeah, yeah. I think ghasts could even be considered chuds. Heck, I mean, gugs could be chuds, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're very humanoid, unlike ghasts and ghouls. Uh, but yeah, no. Um, yeah. Uh, and of course, horror games, ghasts, not ghasts, but gugs, would would fit in perfectly. So everyone, I think that's, that's all of the uh, juice we can squeeze out of these gugs. Uh, that's it, of gug <laughs> juice. Yeah. Yep, the Gug Juice is, jug is full. Uh, thank you again so much. If you would like to write to us, uh, track us down on the internet. We are on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, we've got a website, pgttcm.com, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. And get in contact with me and Dave there. And if you want to help support the show, you can find t-shirts there and links to all the sponsors, including Copper Cow Coffee. A little bit before the show, I drank the last of my churro, and I got to order some more. I think I'm going to get some of that rose, if they still have it, and definitely some of the salt, caramel, and always got to get me some of that black coffee. Uh, Dave, I hope that everything is amazing with you and all of the goats. And uh, we'll see you next week. Do you know what we're talking about next week, Dave? I believe that we are talking about Holly. Ooh. Or Holly. I, I think I've heard of that place. <laughs> and we should have, we should, next week we should have uh, the return of some of our guests. Whoa, guest returns. That'll be cool. All right, everyone, we'll see you then. Have yourselves a good one, and we'll talk to you in the near future. Bye. Bye.